This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm here with Damien Anderson, the number seven ranked WNO, 145-pound uh, no-gi grappler in the world. Uh, Damien, you are a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You own a school all in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in New Jersey. Uh, you are a member of the Danahar Death Squad. Uh, you're an MMA practitioner as well. I had the great honor of um, coming down and training with you all of last week and watching a few of your training sessions with Gary Tonin under the close tutelage, tutelage of uh, John Danahar. Uh, it's a pleasure to see you again and just wanted to thank you for taking the time to explain some technique to me last week and welcome me into the gym. Yeah, you know, thanks for having me, Jordan. It was a pleasure having you around, uh, um, you know, around the gym. It's great that, that you get to see what we're, what's behind the scenes, but I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, before we hop into some of the questions I have for you, maybe you could just give us a little background on yourself, where you're from, how you got into jujitsu, how you started your business, anything you think is relevant. Yeah, uh, of course. So, um, uh, I guess I'll start with my name, right? Damien Anderson. Um, I'm from North Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, that's where, you know, I, I lived my entire life pretty much. Um, I went to Rutgers, uh, wanted to study economics and finance. And then I happened to stumble across the jiu-jitsu club, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu club at Rutgers. And it just so happened that Gary Tonin was the head instructor there. So I knew nothing about that. You know, I did some sports in high school. Um, I was very always, I was always competitive. I played football and lacrosse for my main sports, and I also did a little bit of wrestling, but nothing high level. Um, yeah, nothing high level at all. And then when I was at Rutgers, you know, I was always willing to work really hard to achieve whatever goal I had. Um, you know, at the time, before I started jiu-jitsu, money was the goal. So then I was like, oh, I'm, it's totally okay working, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week if I'm getting a great paycheck. And, like, you know, I, I was totally okay with that, with that uh, mindset. And then I found Gary and Gordon, and then I was like, wait, these guys are just playing every day, and, you know, they love what they do, and they're still, you know, able to survive, making good, uh, great money, or good money at the time, and now great money, um, you know, and it really, really opened my eyes. <clears throat> so um, once I started training a little bit, Gordon actually was like, you know, uh, do you want to take this seriously? Do you want to you know, do this as a profession. I was like, I didn't, I didn't even realize this was a, that was an opportunity for me. I, I just really like this, this sport. So I did it every day, but I didn't know that I could try to pursue it as, as a career goal. So then, you know, I started training every day, started going to Henzo's while I was at Rutgers and the schedule was just crazy. Um, so just to put it into perspective, we had to be in the city. Um, class started around 745, 830. It's supposed to be an eight or a seven thirty class, but since John's running it and since we're Brazilian Jiu Jitsu fighters, it's always fifteen to thirty minutes late. <laughs> I um, learned that but, uh, last week. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes even longer. So we say we start one time, and it's like you add thirty minutes. Um, but the thing is, you know, I just started Jiu Jitsu. You know, I was a white belt still, um, but I wanted to try to get as good as I can, or as, yeah, just try to to excel the quickest. So. Um, I had to catch like the 605 train to make it to the 730 class, um, which really started, which I was really 15 to 30 minutes early every time. But um, so I would catch that class. And then um, we had around 730 or eight, eight o'clock to around 10, 1030. 
we'd have our session. And then in between, I'd have to do uh, schoolwork. You know, I was uh, in, in college taking like 18 credits. So I had to do schoolwork. And then there was a, a 1230 class. So it was actually noon class that started at 1230. So then I had that. And then on the train ride back, I would do more schoolwork. And then I had in-person and online classes. But the in-person classes, I scheduled from anywhere from like four to around seven. Um, so I was trying to bang out all the classes in between those time frames. And then after, uh, I would go back to Brunswick and I would train again, the 7.30 class, then 8.30 wow. training. And then sometimes I would go back to, to Rutgers because there was a Rutgers club, which uh, um, I would do. Uh, that was like a, a 9.15 to 11 um, uh, class on Wednesdays there. And I would do that every day. So just constant, constant grinding. Um, and then on the weekends, I so actually Monday through Friday was when I was training. So I had, I had uh, jujitsu training, I had school work and school. Um, and then I also, at the time, I thought being in a fraternity was like the cool thing or whatever. So I, I also, and like, I wanted to, to always try to be a leader in, in a lot of the things that I did. So I, you know, I had membership or uh, I had, um, you know, responsibilities in the fraternity i was it's called member development in in mm -hmm. a fraternity called kai-fi there so we were finding a fraternity there uh and then on the weekends i had a part-time job so i couldn't actually train on the weekends um and then that that happened for what, you know what were you doing for a job uh at the time i had two different jobs um i was a caddy uh, oh, in the morning me too. and then i was a i was uh i mean it, it's great cash to be honest Oof. like i I, I can't even tell you how much money I used to make. It should be illegal. <laughs> yeah. I was like, in college, man, the weekends I get my money in, I was like, I'm fine. Um, and then at night, uh, I was a host at a uh, um, a host at a banquet server. There's like a little restaurant in North Brunswick called, uh, at the time it was called Lago. Um, so I was I was a hostess, just, just seating people down. And then uh, for parties, I was a banquet server. So I would do that. But the thing is, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't train on the weekends. And then I was asking, you know, my teammates, because the thing is, at the time, Nikki was like 13, 14 or whatever, and he was excelling like crazy. And I was like, you know, I might have been training for six months or eight months, something like that. And I was like, you know, like, it's only getting worse for me. Like, I'm only I'm only getting the shit beat out of me even worse as I train more. I'm like, I need everything was about progression for me. I was like, how do I progress faster? Like, how can I catch up to you guys? And then Gordon was basically like, hey, or I, I forget if it was Gordon or Gary. They were like, you know, you're never going to catch up to us because you're not training as much as us. And I was like, what the hell do you mean? Like, I'm fucking, I'm training every single day. They're like, dude, you're never here on the weekends. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I have a job. And then they're like, yeah, that's not the point. Like, it's not, that's, that's fine that you have a job, but it's just a matter of fact, you're not training when we're training. So it's going to be very difficult for you to catch up. Hmm. So then um, I was like, Jesus, you know, you're, you're right. So um, at the time, Gary needed a manager because Gary was running everything at his gym by himself. You know, he was, to be honest, he wasn't really even answering the phones or emails just because he was so busy. You know, he was traveling all over the place for competitions. He was training multiple times a day. Um, so he just didn't have it in him to always, um, to, you know, keep up to date with everything. So I always knew that I wanted to, be my own boss. That was something that I always knew. Um, not that I'm not a bad employee. Uh, you know, I feel like every, pretty much every one of my bosses would, would, uh, you know, write a good review on me, but, um, it never, it never sat well with me that I would, 
be working hard for somebody else's business. Like nobody's going to work as hard as I will for my own business rather. Yeah. So, like, I can feel myself, you know, trying to slack off a little bit if I could. It's like, there's that phrase where it's like the, the employer is paying you just enough so you don't quit and the employee's working just hard enough so he doesn't get fired. It was kind of like that situation. So I always knew that I wanted to be a, my own boss. And now that I was falling in love with jujitsu, I needed, I needed to know how to actually uh, run and operate the business. So I felt like it was a perfect opportunity to, to learn that. So then I started, you know, I quit my caddy job. I quit the host job. And then um, I started working for Gary, just doing the back end. So, you know, just answering the, the emails, answering the phone, then eventually like uh, doing like pretty much managing everything on the back end. Um, and then I got to see the, the ins and outs of the actual gym. So it was a great, great learning experience for me because I knew that I wanted to eventually do it on my own. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I did that. I, I finished out freshman and sophomore year and then just the crazy the the um the hectic schedule man it was really it was really wearing down on me so then um you know i kind of sat down and i really thought about it and i was like you know what i'm not i'm not really giving this all my all you know there, there's more that i could be doing i could be watching more tape i could be mentally focusing uh, uh more versus just i'm in the gym when i'm in the gym and then i'm on to whatever when i'm outside of the gym versus just having a single focus right so I really wanted to just dedicate my my all into to my passion. So then, you know, I decided to to stop college, um, pursue this full time, mm. learn as much as I could, as quickly as I could. And then um, now here we are now, you know, actually a couple of weeks before COVID, I had decided to open up my gym. Luckily, we made it through the pandemic. Um, Thank but God. It, wasn't, it wasn't easy. Yeah. But um, now, I mean, everything worked out perfectly. You know, right now. Uh, I, I partnered with a great brown belt, one of Gary Tonin's uh, brown belts. His name's Andrew Vidal. So he's the head instructor at our gym, uh, all in BJJ, like you said. But um, to be honest, everything worked out perfectly because the exact same skills that I had to do for Brunswick, I'm now just duplicating at my gym where I'm just doing all the back end work. And the head instructor, Andrew, can just focus on on uh, um, on teaching, you know? Yeah. So it works out. It worked out uh, perfectly. I feel like our, our skill sets and our, our lifestyles worked out perfectly because right now I'm able to to train full time. I do my MMA and my jujitsu every single day, mm -hmm. um, you know, occasional lift. I still have time to relax. And then when I'm home connected to Internet, it's not a problem for me to, to answer the emails, answer the phones, talk to the landlord, deal with the insurance companies, whatever it is. Um, so it, it really worked out well. Phenomenal story. I mean, just there's so much to learn from, you know, the, the, your little case study of going after your dream and going all in. And uh, my, I had two observations of you last week, you know, observing you um, and, and interacting with you. One, and this goes back to kind of what you were saying about being the kind of employee that you were. But my observation of you in the gym was like, an amazing teammate. You know, like you just seem like an incredible teammate. Here you are amongst these like living legends, truly, right? We had we're on the mat with Gordon Ryan, yeah, Gary Tonin, Craig Jones, Nick Rodriguez, Sean Donahar. And you were not overshined by them at all because you were just like such a great teammate. Um I watched you in uh in a, in a sparring session with Gary 
and it was just you, Gary, one other guy, and John. And it was like such a high level training session. And um, it was like, I just watched the learning in action and I, I was so impressed. So, you know, as it related to that for, you know, th that was the first thing that I saw that I wanted to talk to you about. It's just like what it's like being a teammate. Um, and then the second thing, you know, ultimately why I reached out to you for this podcast was you put up this post about giving it all up to go in on your dream and be like, I want to be, you know, a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor. I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to give up the drinking. I'm going to give up the drugs. I'm going to give it the part. Not that I don't know if you're doing drugs, but I'm going to give it the partying. I know my friends are out there doing these things right now. I know they're having a good time, but you're living in Puerto Rico with no power, no water, right? <laughs> no power, no water, uh, driving to the gym. And, you know, of course, it's a beautiful lifestyle. It's slow. So anyway, just talk to me about what it's like to be um, one of the junior up-and-coming students that's now ranked in the world and, you know, where your position is on this team. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to be honest, this is a dream come true. I mean, I'm very far, in my opinion, uh, from my dreams, from the standards that I have for myself um, and what my team has for me. You know, I haven't achieved anything, um, even though rank, being ranked seventh in the world, that means nothing compared to, you know, um, uh, our, our senior students, right? The senior students have very high standards for us. So, I mean, it's really nothing to even brag about. But, um, I mean, it, it, it does feel like a dream come true. Being, you know, seeing, uh, uh, you know, coming up, I, I knew about George St. Pierre. I didn't know much about MMA, but I knew about George St. Pierre being such a great fighter. And then to find out that his coach is right around the corner and that, that he's working with Gary Tonin and, um, you know, that, uh, I have access to this team. I was like, it, it, it would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't put my all into it to see how good my potential could be. Like, how good can I get, um, if I have the greatest coaches here? Um, so that's a big reason on why, uh, you know, we're so adamant or at least I'm so adamant about training every day with John. Um, you know, he's there every day. He's, he's the consistent one. The, the, the teammates are actually the most inconsistent ones. It's like sometimes people are hurt, so they take a day off. But John's there every single day. There's never a day that, that you know, that man is not there. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like we kind of owe it to him to, to be there, um, you know, to be, to be there to learn and, and absorb everything that he knows because there's going to be a day where he's not here. And it's like we don't want all that knowledge to be lost in the abyss, you know, mm -hmm. uh, kind of situation. But now actually training with, with Gary – um, we can start out with, with MMA. I mean, dude, he's freaking good. It's, it's, it's tough, man. But I mean, we, we push each other, you know, mm. I feel like looking at it selfishly, you know, it's, it's in my opinion, the best situation I can be. Cause you know, I feel like, you know, my striking is very good. Surprisingly, just working from John. Um, but, uh, I'm never, in my opinion, I'm never going to go against a grappler that's better than Gary. Uh, when I eventually make my professional, uh, um, you know, when I start climbing the professional rankings, you know, yeah. uh, in MMA, there's never going to be a better grappler in my division. So training with Gary is actually the best thing for me, I believe. You know, um, it's like my worst, my hardest fights are going to be in the gym. And then when the real fights happen, 
it'll be a little bit easier. At least that's that's the philosophy that John has us playing around with. Is that like you know we're we're all making each other so much stronger, and then when we're out there on the stage, it's actually going to be an easier fight. Um, so with MMA, you know that's that's uh, my philosophy with it. You know, I, I really I really think it's the greatest thing working with uh with Gary. Yeah, if you could put that in the frame of reference, uh, and John has spoken about this publicly, but I got to feel it last week. Even the white and blue belt local Puerto Rican students who have joined your team and you guys are training with every day, their level is so much better than your average white and blue belt in just an average gym around the country after spending a year training with under John and with you guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of those guys are like killers. And it's just... It was beautiful to feel. Yeah, I mean that's a testament to John. John, John's way of breaking down, um, the like combat sports is just, you know, there, there. I'm very biased, but you know, there's there's nothing like it. You know, um, that guy is just able to to deduce and break things down so anyone can digest it. It seems like jujitsu, in a sense, is is actually very simple because it's just basic physics that you learn in middle school. You know, fulcrums, levers, uh, and stuff like that. But um, the way he's able to identify and, and and give the information to the students is just incredible. So I mean, I'm not surprised that these that these kids are are progressing so quickly. Yeah, my first time training with John was about five years ago at a seminar at the, the main academy in New York City, and. When I walked out of that seminar, I said he was the most clear and effective communicator that I'd ever met. I said that that was my observation. And when I had a chance to speak to him on this podcast, we talked a lot about language, the words he chooses to use, how he communicates, how he talks. Um, it's very much influenced by his teaching of being, you know, a you know, Columbia trained philosophy yes. professor. And so I asked him, was is it intentional? And he said it is very much intentional the way the way that he does things, the way that he says things, the way that he communicates. And watching him use you as an uke, like I just felt I got the technique and I got it so much faster. Now I have an incredible sensei too. My sensei, I don't know if you know Sensei Nardu. He's oh, yeah. uh, he's a black belt under John and yeah. Henzo, Randy Brown's coach. He's an incredible, incredible prof professor also, but they have a very different style. Um, when John was applying the techniques on you as Uke, I was like getting it, you know, just like I was going and I was getting it. And yeah. I was just saying that it's no secret that, um, you know, why and how, um, you guys are progressing at such an incredible level and so lucky to have not only each other, but also have John, um, to, to, who is there all the time. So, so that's, that was the first thing. And then the second thing is, um, just this all-in mentality. You Once have. you made the decision, is it easy now to live this lifestyle or is it grueling to train the way that you do and to kind of leave it all behind in New York and go down to this island? What's it like? Um, so, I mean, it's definitely bittersweet. So pretty much everyone that knows me, at least knows me like intimately, like my friends, my family, my close friends, you know, um, those people that, that know me, they know my personality already. And I kind of have always been almost obsessive, um, you know, when I do fall in love with something, because this isn't my first passion. This is my first thing that I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I'm actually pursuing it. But, you know, I was always 
a fanatic about my football. So I would, you know, I would go to speed school. I would go lifting. I would always try to do, um, you know, above and beyond with that. So I kind of always had that all in mentality, which is why I, I actually named the gym all in. Mm-hmm. Um, so my close friends always know that I get uh, um, a little bit of obsessive when I, when I try, kind of set my mind to something. Um, but I mean, this, this Puerto Rico or this, this jujitsu journey, um, has definitely been, you know, ups and downs. Uh, you know, I, I've suffered, um, horrible injuries and stuff like that, that I, I don't really want to get into too much, but I don't want, I don't want a lot of the information to, to be uh, out there, but, um, you know, there is multiple times where I really had to question, you know, if I, if this is for me, because like it, putting my body at risk, even like, I haven't even fought MMA yet, but I definitely plan on, um, you know, uh, uh, rising through the ranks of professional MMA as well. Yeah. Um, and that's the goals that, you know, Gary and, and John have for me as well. But, How uh, old are you, Damien? I'm 24. 24. So you still still have a, a good amount of time. Uh, yeah. When when do you think you want to make your professional MMA debut, if you don't mind me asking? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I will most likely make it this year by yeah. by end of 2021 sometime. Um, it, it was kind of getting a little bit difficult for me to find fights. So I had a fight that was actually supposed to be this month, June 19th. Um, and then my opponent pulled out. So then they asked like four other guys, uh, and then they all pulled out. They all, you know, they're scared of, of John and Gary, not even me. Um, they're scared of, of John and Gary. And, um, so I wasn't able to find amateur fights and it's kind of difficult for me to find amateur fights. So then I spoke to John, John was like, you know, I have no qualms with you going directly to professional, uh, level, you know, cause I mean, I spar Gary every day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I spar, uh, multiple UFC fighters all the time. Um, it's not like I, I, my skill level is there. The main, the main reason why, um, John even wanted me to go to amateur was to make sure that, um, I'm okay competing, uh, in those high stress situations. Cause I mean, competing grappling versus competing in MMA is very different. You know, there's a lot more at stake. So John wanted to just make sure that, um, I could, I could compete in this like under the lights in the stage uh, um before i before i have to really risk you know a loss as a professional yeah um and then you know personally i think um i think i'll be okay uh you know fighting professionally right away um so it kind of looks like that's what i'm gonna have to do especially now that i'm ranked um it's definitely going to be even more like even tougher to find uh um, opponents, amateur opponents that are willing to accept the fight. So I might just have to go directly to pro now. So I'm looking um, in places between Long Island, Florida, and Texas. So those mm-hmm. those three places, um, I've been you know contacting some of the promoters. So hopefully within by the end of the year, I'll be able to make my professional debut. That would be really exciting to watch. Um, what about the prospects for professional grappling? Do you want to start training for ADCC? Is that something that you have envisioned? Um, I definitely, so I definitely, um, you know, have that on, on my mind, you know, trials are at the end of this year as well. Um, so I feel like this year I, I have a very good shot. You know, the, the person that came in second in both the East and West coast trials is Keith, Keith Krikorian. Um, and, uh, you know, he beat me twice. I beat him. I beat him once. Um, but that was three years ago when, when he beat me and, the last time he beat me was it was EBI rules and he beat me in riding time. So it wasn't like none of the, like that win wasn't a, um, a decisive win in my opinion. I feel like I progressed, uh, tremendously since then. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm really looking forward to trying to punch my ticket into ADCC. Yeah. 
that would be uh, really exciting. Um, you guys have such a, a deep bench over there. You're gonna have every weight class, every yeah. weight class covered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, there's there's gonna be multiple. I mean, Ethan's gonna be in 145 as well. Then we have Nikki, Taza, and Gary. Possibly yeah. Gary in 170. Then what? Who's in 185? Or 170? Oh, does, I forget what the next weight class is. Yeah. Whatever. There's literally somebody in, in each weight class though. It's crazy. Maybe yeah. Craig, Craig Gordon, and then Nikki Rod in those higher weight classes. I forget what they are. 66, 77, 88 is Craig. 99 is Gordon. Then 99 plus is Nikki Rod. Yeah. He is a, he is a specimen. Oh yeah. <laughs> Rod. Oh yeah. Can't, can't even get started on that. There's there's too much too much to cover. So I'll just go back to go back to your school first. What were your motivations for opening this business? Um. Well, you know, I, I was always kind of like an I was always an entrepreneur growing up. Um. You know, in middle school I had like a little gum selling business and I sold sodas in school because we didn't we weren't allowed actually to have sodas in our school. Um. So then I kind of made like the black market. So I sold <laughs> sodas and gum. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when I was in high school, people started getting cars. I, I would Plasti Dip people's rims. Plasti Dip is just like a rubber spray that, um, you know, I would Plasti Dip my friend's cars uh, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I would always like shovel. So I, I was always an entrepreneur. And then when I did jujitsu, I was like, you know, the, the next logical step is, all right, well, I want to open up a gym, you know, so I can do it for myself. Because, again, working for Gary is great and everything, but it, at the end of the of the day it's still his business you know i don't see why i couldn't just do it for myself mm -hmm. um so then um i just i mean i just decided once i learned once i felt like i learned everything that i could learn um obviously there's still still learning steps in, you know in every business and in every entry you're always constantly learning but once i felt like i had the skills where i can um figure out the problems on my own then i was like all right well i'm i'm able to do this on you know, by myself, especially that, um, I, I reached a certain level of uh, technique where I felt, um, I would be able to, to teach better than most other, other surrounding gyms in my area. So once I felt like, you know, I had a, a good knowledge for jujitsu, I was able to dissect it well as I would teach it well. And I can also run the back end uh, portion of the gym. Then mm -hmm. I was like, all right, you know, it, it's about time that I started doing this on my own. That's great. And your business partner from Gary, um, I assume he's uh, in New Jersey right now watching it while you're down. How often do you get back to Jersey? So originally I was trying to make it down like once a month, but um, you know, with competitions and everything, um, it, I haven't been there for about two months now. So on average, I'm probably there um, once every other month. Mm -hmm. That's that's really what I try to do. Um, if I can get out there once a month, then I will definitely try to get out there once a month um, and just you know show my face, uh, teach there a little bit. Mm -hmm. I usually like to teach uh, uh, you know my business partner Andrew whatever stuff, whatever new stuff we're learning, um, just to keep him up to date with the new technology that we're developing here. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's usually what I try to do once every other month. It's great to have a good business partner, and I hope that he appreciates, you know, you know what you're, what you can bring to that academy, which is this cachet of world class training. Uh, you you fly the flag, he's driving the ship at home, but you know you're out there, you're representing your academy and uh, and putting it out there. I think that that's a really important component for the long term growth. You know, while you have this career, you go out. The fact that you started this business so young is 
so admirable to me. I, I just, I love finding out like what drives people to start businesses. You know, like why, why can some people like you seem to do it all, right? You're training MMA, you're going to jujitsu, you're risking it all going down to Puerto Rico, you're starting businesses, training, doing seminars. It's like, you can just go on and on and on. And then you have some other people that are just as smart, just as fast, just as strong, but they just can't seem to pull that trigger. You know, they just, they want to, but they just can't like take that risk. Yeah. I'm so fascinated with that risk taking. I definitely think so. I, I was actually talking about this with my cousins yesterday. Um, and like, we kind of like, you know, deduce that there are doers and then there are people who just don't or don't work, right? There are people who just do the work and people who don't do the work. I, I would go one step further. And I would say that I think a big reason why people don't try to pursue these different goals uh, is because they're afraid of failure, right? Um, so to be honest, like we'll say, I also play the piano, right? Um, mm. and I always like to, to, to give this analogy. So when I play a song, right? If I play a song in front of my friends or I'm learning a song and I'm playing it and then I mess up, if they laugh or something, that it, it doesn't really bother me. But the trigger is, is that they believe that when you mess up, you're doing something wrong, like, right, that, that's, that's an accident. But the thing is, is like, you're never going to do things perfectly in the beginning, just like jujitsu, or just like the business. Um, I feel like a lot of people are afraid of making that hitting that wrong note, or failing. Um, and then so they never want to do it in the first place. Whereas like, the way I kind of grew up, um, you know, my it's actually, you know, a big reason is, um, you know, my mom says this all the time. It's like, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter that you fail. Like, who cares? Just keep doing it. Just keep trying, like, you know, try, try again, basically. Um, and then you'll figure it out because that fear of failure is so detrimental to people's growth. And they're, they're so afraid of, of, uh, um, getting laughed at, or, you know, I could have opened the business and then it could have failed, but like, who cares? I have so many businesses that actually failed, um, before, you know, I was in a like, network marketing business. I, I tried to sell, uh, um, rash guards for a little bit. Like, you know, the businesses fail or, or I don't follow through with them. Um, it doesn't really matter. The fear of failure doesn't really drive me. It's just like, Oh, what could be, you know, that possibility is actually, um, the thing that, that kind of gets me going. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, I could build, uh, a great gym with, you know, 500 to a thousand students or something like that. That that's possible. Yeah. Like, the idea that it fails, it's like, all right, well, if it fails, what does it matter? It's not that big of a deal. I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to die. I'm not losing crazy amounts of money. It's still a great story. You know, I tried it. Yeah. Um, so that fear, fear of failure, I think definitely separates, you know, the people that do and the people that don't. Do you see the clear connection between that and getting really good at jujitsu? Like, absolutely. So there's two parts of that. So first, um, you know, there's people that are afraid of getting submitted right? So then they never put themselves in the bad situations to even get submitted. And then, then their late escapes don't work. The same scenario with are the people, the person has, a, has a, you know, a safe and secure job when their real passion is something else. And then they don't develop the business to, to go pursue that because they're afraid that they're not going to make the paycheck or they're going to fail. And now they, they left their safe and secure job. So the idea of always putting yourself at risk to grow is an analogy that I that I see, or the commonality that I see from jujitsu in life. Or the thing I think I learned from jujitsu um, is the idea of constant problem solving. Right, that that thing is it is just so ingrained in my brain now. Um, when you're mounted and somebody has you know extended arms above your head, that 
all you have to do is keep thinking on how to get out and how to problem solve. Um, so like when, when, uh, COVID happened, you know, um, the business was, was about to, to go under, you know, and you just constantly problem solve. Well, this is, these are the list of problems, X, Y, Z. Well, how do I solve the problems? It's not, I feel like a lot of people, if they're not, if they don't have that that ability to problem solve under pressure, then that's when you see them break down, you know, mentally or emotionally. They they freak out or they get that crazy high anxiety, and you know the world's falling falling down and crumbling beneath their feet or whatever, um, because they haven't practiced that ability of, well, it's okay. Nothing, everything that happens in life is not. Um, there's no good or bad, right? It's it's a stoicism quote. Uh, um, mm-hmm. There's a, a book called The Practicing Stoic where these people um, or the, these philosophers or these Stoics rather, um, they don't see things as good or bad. The good or bad just comes from your reaction. There's only things, and then if you can if you can separate yourself from the good or bad, then you can just see clearly. Well, like, all right, well, how do I solve this problem? How do I solve this problem? How do I solve this problem? And it becomes almost a game. So, in my opinion not that life is a game, but it is in a sense, you know, um, like this business that I, that I have is just problem solving. Well, you know, I, we can't make, we couldn't make rent this month. All right, well, how do we make a little bit extra money? Oh, we sell some rash cards. We do fundraiser. We like there, that's just an example of, uh, um, you know, the problem solving capability versus just, Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to make rent. What am I going to do? Cause the, the, the worrying doesn't really do anything. You just keep problem solving. And then, you know, you either make it out or sometimes you get submitted. And if you get submitted or it fails, you just get up and try again. Perfectly said. I mean, I can't tell you how um, valuable that is to hear and um, and something that I live and then I try to share with people also, especially people, you know, the people who this book is, the book that I'm writing is targeted at are all the guys on the mat who want to do what you do, who haven't figured that out. They haven't figured out that it's just a series of figuring shit out. Problem solving. Something bad happens, you figure that out. Something bad happens, you figure that out. Sometimes you have the guy in the jujitsu gym where you're trying to teach a technique to a lower belt and they said, well, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? And you kind of just want to stop them and say, that's the whole game. It's always- We can do this for an infinite uh, infinite amount of time. That is jujitsu. Yeah. What is this? What is this? What is this? Exactly. <laughs> and so being able to become a really good student and learn and, and love that process is akin to becoming a really great entrepreneur where, like you said, the problems are not bad. Many years ago, when I was discovering this and learning stoicism and turned onto the stoics and I created a mantra for myself where I used to say, I'm grateful for my problems and my ability to solve them. It's like I used to say that to myself all the time. And like six months ago, I was talking to my wife and I was like, oh, remember I used to say that all the time? I'm grateful for my problems and my ability. I, I just stopped saying it because it became a part of me. It just, it, it, at some point, it just became so deeply ingrained in me. It's like, I don't see problems as obstacles or, or potholes. I just go over them a hundred miles an hour like I'm driving on the highway. I don't stop short and pull off because there's something that happens. And the way that you described it was so beautiful. So let me take that one step further. One of the things I observed about you, which just impressed me so much, was after the practice was over, on two days when, when Gordon was teaching and when John was teaching, with no fear and openness, you went and you were asking questions. So often people say, does anybody have any questions? And it's like, 
silence. Yes, ex- exactly. But uh, yeah, go sorry. Yeah, you just I was so impressed with the way that you just went over and had no there it was it was a it was a great show of just I guess what I'm saying is no ego. With no ego, you really wanted to learn and evolve what was taught that day. I tried this. He did this. Can you can you show me what I'm doing wrong? And you were working through. Is that is that encouraged at the gym? Is that something that happens, or is that something that is unique to you? Um, I think a little bit of both. I mean, John has built a culture where um, he always he has us as independent thinkers. You know, we're all thinking. Um, about different problems all the time, what's happening in our roles. He very much encourages that. Um, but uh, I do believe that uh, I'm naturally a curious person, uh, you know, so I was never afraid to, to ask. I mean, I don't know if you were there during one of our, one of our buddies, Doug um, was there. He owns, uh, you know, Henzo Gracie Bronx. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a few other gyms, a very good, you know, very, uh, um, established entrepreneur as well mm-hmm. uh, you know i ask him questions not about jiu-jitsu but about you know his entrepreneurial endeavors all the time so i definitely think i have a, a very curious personality because i mean um all like that's that's what life is you know it's just about a, a acquisition of information you know i feel like the person who has a lot of the most information you know has a um a better ability to make or has an ability to make better decisions right um but now going into asking questions after the gym or after the class when some people don't i do believe that that leads to or that's again from people's fear of failure or fear of seeing seeming stupid or whatever i kind of don't have that that i mean i call myself retarded all the time right no. like, I'm, I'm an idiot you know i, I make stupid decisions all the time <laughs> um, <laughs> not that's not my estimation <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like that that is uh, um you know people take themselves too seriously sometimes and like they can't be wrong and they can't uh they can't make bad decisions and it's like that's not you're you're freaking human you know we yeah. all make decisions or we all make bad decisions um but uh you know i'm i very much i don't care when my teammates laugh at me you know i i feel like you have to be able to laugh at yourself too um so uh, uh i think i think it's a little bit of both john helping in, or encouraging that 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 learning culture as well as a little bit my own personality where i am just a very curious person the humor they you there is a lot of humor in that room there's a lot of in john's words dark humor uh is he's a he's a very interesting person and he has created a really uh unique learning environment um my last question for you is about your decision to leave academia you know leave college essentially i would argue that you are in a master's level program every day with the master <laughs> uh it's it would be it's interesting to think about the future of education and you know like the lifestyle that you're able to live because of technology because of neat the niche like social media has opened up niche sports to be able to make money from them, right? Like 10 years ago, you couldn't do what you're doing right now and run an academy from an island 
plan seminars all over the country. Yeah, the best of the, in, like the top 1% could do it. Like Gordon probably could get away with it 10 years ago. Yes. But you can do, you can own an academy and you can build a following and teach seminars and, and carve out this way for yourself and learn from the, like this guy. I would argue that it's better than a college education. I think what you're doing is like the future you're probably at the forefront of it, but it's, is that something that's lost on you? Have you thought about that at all? Yeah. I mean, um, I definitely thought about that a lot while I was in college and then especially out of college as well. Um, when I was in college, um, I started to realize that the professors, some professors were very good. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of the professors weren't actually even teaching me. It was me teaching me, you know? I would yep. read the textbook, and then if we had questions, I would ask the the most likely the TA, not even the the actual professor. Um, and uh, what I started to realize is that first I wasn't even that curious about most of the subjects that I had to learn, like with the core curriculum and stuff like that. Like th there was very little, like you know, basic accounting or financial accounting was something that all right, that definitely helped me out. But do I really need it? No, we have QuickBooks. It's like, <laughs> it's like is it really that necessary? Um, but uh, what I started to realize is that there were like, especially with, with the internet, anything that I wanted to learn, I was able and able to find for most likely free on the internet. Um, so I was always able to teach myself and being a curious person, it's like I can always find the information somehow. Uh, yeah. One thing that college maybe did help was that you know, it helped you research. I mean, you can go back to high school with that too. Like, you know, sure. learning, thinking, uh, um, or finding the answers on your own is a, is a skill in and of itself. Um, but, uh, I just felt the, the, the amount of money that a lot of these kids pay for just a piece of paper where, you know, it doesn't really, they, I don't, I don't feel like it was that it wasn't worth it to me. And, um, to, to go work in a field that they didn't genuinely love just so they could pay off their college debt. And then right when they pay off their college debt, they're most likely going to get married and then buy a house. So then they have to work again at that, whatever, you know, job that they're working at. It just, that, that kind of lifestyle didn't really, um, it didn't appeal to me once I saw what, once I found jujitsu, once I realized it's like, Oh wow, this is something that I genuinely love and I would love to do this every day. Um, you know, that, that seemed way better. And the thing is, is like, again, I wasn't afraid to work really hard. So like rarely do you see me taking days off. Like mm. I, I don't even remember the last time I, I didn't go to the, to the room. Um, you know, so I worked very hard. All of our teammates, you know, we make fun of each other when we skip training sessions. Um, that's like a, that's part of the culture as well. Like if you, if you miss training, I mean, you're, you're getting called lazy bum, like shit bag. You don't <laughs> want it. You, you'll yeah. never be great. Like that, like we got on each other for that. Yeah. Um, because we all have this idea that you have to work hard, but, um, we all, we all just fell in love with the sport. And then again, when there's somebody like John, that's, that's such a great teacher who spent so much of his life learning this, I mean, like, again, it's, it's up to us to, to, to learn from him, right. To go into the training room every day. The feeling that I got when I was leaving Puerto Rico was there's a person who's so good at what he does and I had the opportunity to learn from him for just a few short days. And now I'm leaving knowing that he's still there. And it's like, I, and I said this to Gordon, I was like, if I was 10 years younger or 15 years younger, 
and I didn't have all these businesses and a house and a family, like everything you just mentioned, what, <laughs> where would, what kind of decision would I make today? Mm. You know, would I have, would I make a different decision? And I, un unfortunately I can't, I can't make that decision because I am encumbered by companies, employees, homes, kids, wife. Yes, yes. And, I, and by the way, I'm incredibly grateful for all those things. I love all those things, of course. but I get to put my jujitsu, you know, gear on mm -hmm. and go train with you guys and just feel like that. And just knowing that it's out there is, um, it's just, I'm so glad, I'm so happy that you made the decision that you did and are going down this path. Um, because I think it's a beautiful one. And anybody who thinks that they need college for this magical life, I would tell them, no, like you don't need it. It's, you can be an entrepreneur without going to college. You could be an entrepreneur without spending 150,000 or room and board or partying in Cancun or wherever the hell people go now, Acapulco. Uh, you don't have to do that life. And here you are 24 years old and you already figured it out. I didn't even have my stoic realizations until I was 28. Hmm. You know, I've been, I was building businesses. I was working really hard. I was making a lot of money, but I didn't have the realization until I'm 28. Uh, today I was talking to a 21 year old employee of mine who dropped out of college. Hmm. And I said the same thing that I'm appreciating about you. I said to him, which was you're already in a company where you could build a whole career. It didn't not going to college didn't stop you from getting this job. So I really admire you, Damien. Uh, I'm extremely grateful for this conversation today. Um, I'm very grateful for you welcoming me uh, last week to the academy and, and sharing some technique with me. And uh, if I could ever be of service to you in New York for anything in real estate or fashion or any other stuff, I'm at your service. Thank and you. Brother. I, I hope to see you again soon. Hope to see you soon, man. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I really appreciate it. I love I love what you're doing. I, I love that you're you're paralleling business along with jujitsu. I mean, I think it's a great uh, a great topic and a great. Uh, um, you know, spearhead to go through. Yeah. It's been very well received by a lot of people. It surprised me a little bit how many other people were like me because most, most jujitsu practitioners are just regular people. They're not the competitors. They're just yes. firemen and, and businessmen and lawyers and doctors. And so jujitsu has impacted them in, in a different way. And so I'm trying to connect with all of those people and, and give them a voice too. And uh, it's been very well received. So thank you for being part of the project. It's amazing. Thanks so much, Jordan. See you again soon. Thank you. All right. See you, brother.